0: Hello and welcome to Alert, radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Ashley Titterton.
1: And I'm Michael Welch. On today's show, we'll be speaking with Mordecai Breenberg on recent developments in Egypt and how they'll impact U.S. and Israeli imperial designs in the Middle East. We'll hear from economist Jim Stanford on the Harper government's looming budget and plans for corporate tax cuts. And Stephen Staples of the Rideau Institute will share his thoughts on the proposed continental security perimeter around Canada and the United States.
0: First, here are the alert headlines for the week of February tenth, two 2011. According to a confidential communications strategy, Canada's federal government deliberately kept negotiations on a border deal with Washington secret while it planned ways to massage public opinion in favour of the pact. Last week, Harper and Obama signed off on a plan that for the first time envisions throwing up a single security ring around the perimeter of Canada and the U.S. The wide-ranging blueprint calls for increased cooperation between the two countries' police, border and intelligence agencies, an integrated Canada-U.S. exit entry system using high-tech identification techniques and more sharing of information about Canadians with U.S. authorities. The document was prepared last fall when the Canada-U.S. talks were being conducted without any public notice. More on this in our interview with Steve Staples.
1: Pro-democracy protests in Egypt have entered their 17th day as thousands of activists remain in Tahrir Square in Cairo calling for the ouster of President Hosni Mubarak. Last Sunday, Egypt's newly appointed Vice President Omar Suleiman held talks with a series of opposition groups, including members of the Muslim Brotherhood, an opposition group that has been banned in Egypt since 1954. During an interview on ABC, Suleiman said Mubarak could not resign before his term ends later this year.
0: On February 5th, President Obama's special envoy to Egypt, Frank Wisner, openly called for President Hosni Mubarak to stay in office. In a statement, Wisner said Mubarak must stay in office in order to steer those changes through. This is an ideal moment for him to show the way forward. The White House has attempted to back away from Wisner's comments, but the Obama administration has refused to call for Mubarak's immediate resignation.
1: Canadian Union of Public Employees National President Paul Moist has written to Prime Minister Stephen Harper to condemn the Canadian government's failure to fully support democratic change in Egypt and its tacit support for Hosni Mubarak. Moist told Harper it is unconscionable that Canada, quote, could be so out of step with other democratic countries by continuing to support this dictatorial regime, unquote. QP wants Canada to be unequivocal in its demand that Mubarak resign immediately, and firm in its support for a democratic transition that allows the voices of all Egyptians to be heard.
0: Proposed changes to Canada's drug patent system put forward by the European Union as part of trade negotiations would add billions annually to Canada's prescription drug plan, a new report says. The report, commissioned by the Canadian Generic Pharmaceutical Association, suggests the changes proposed by the EU would considerably lengthen the period of market exclusivity for name brand drugs and lead to higher costs for consumers as well as private and public drug plans. The report suggests that a substantial share of the costs of the EU's proposed changes would fall on government drug plans, which have been struggling to contain soaring prescription drug costs.
1: The city of Toronto has officially started work on a plan to privatize garbage and recycling collection in an area west of Yonge Street. The city said in a news release, it has notified the Garbage Workers Union that it intends to pursue a plan to open up garbage collection in that area up to competitive bidding. Toronto Mayor Rob Ford has said repeatedly that he wants to privatize garbage pickup once the contract with unionized workers expires at the end of 2011. Mark Ferguson, the president of QP Local 416, which represents Toronto's garbage collectors, called the mayor's announcement an irresponsible and wrong-headed approach to the delivery of city services.
0: Corporate America has sent Republican lawmakers a wish list of more than 150 government rules and regulations that they want to see rolled back or preempted. Republican Daryl Issa of California had asked the oil industry, drug manufacturers, healthcare providers and telecom firms to tell him which government regulations he should target this year as the new chair of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. According to the Washington Post, the Business Roundtable voiced concern over executive pay disclosures. The coal mining company Murray Energy said that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's greenhouse gas and clean air rules must be stopped immediately.
1: Former U.S. President George W. Bush has been forced to cancel a planned trip to Switzerland after human rights attorneys threatened to take legal action against him for sanctioning the use of torture. The trip to Geneva was supposed to be Bush's first to Europe since leaving office. He was scheduled to speak at a dinner in honor of United Israel Appeal. The Center for Constitutional Rights said they had planned to bring a complaint against Bush under the Convention Against Torture on behalf of two men who were tortured by U.S. interrogators and held at the military base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba.
0: The Haitian government says it has issued former President Jean-Bertrand Aristide with a passport, opening the way for his possible return. A government official told the AFP news agency the diplomatic passport had been issued. However, one of Mr. Aristide's lawyers said he had not yet received it. Mr. Aristide was ousted seven years ago and has been living in exile in South Africa, but has said he wants to return to Haiti. The news comes at a critical time for Haiti, with continuing uncertainty over the presidential election due to go into a second round in March.
1: Jeffrey Robinson, the lawyer of Wikileaks founder Julian Assange, told a UK extradition hearing there is a risk of denial of justice if is tried for rape in Sweden. Robertson also said his client could face the death penalty if then sent to the US on separate charges relating to the whistleblowing website. But prosecutors rejected suggestions the Swedish legal system did not have safeguards against such a violation. Assange denies claims of sexual assault against two women.
0: Online activist group Anonymous has targeted an American security firm that claimed to know the identities of its leaders. The secretive organization is being investigated in several countries over strikes on Visa, PayPal, and others. Anonymous has been involved in a number of high-profile online protests and attacks in recent months. In December, the group launched a campaign in support of WikiLeaks that disrupted services at MasterCard, Visa, and other companies that had withdrawn support for the whistleblowing website. The online activist group has also orchestrated strikes on government services in Tunisia and Egypt in support of popular protests in those countries.
1: Tens of thousands of people marched in Dakar, Senegal on February 6th to mark the start of the World Social Forum. Speakers at the week-long event include Bolivian President Evo Morales, as well as organizers from the popular uprisings in Tunisia and Egypt.
0: Those were the alert headlines for the week of February 10th, 2011. Now for Around the Left in Seven Days for the week of February 10th, 2011. Over the past few months, student organizations at UBC have come under attack for their efforts to oppose Israel's illegal siege of the Gaza Strip. A panel at the SFU Harbour Centre in Vancouver on February 12th will discuss these events and the wider strategy by pro-Israel groups in Canada to undermine solidarity work for Palestine. Panel members include representatives from the Coalition Against Israeli Apartheid Toronto, Solidarity with Palestinian Human Rights UBC, and the Seriously Free Speech Committee. The event begins at 6.30. For more information, email organizer at tssu.ca.
1: Gilbert Akar, Lebanese writer, socialist, anti war activist, and professor at the University of London, will be speaking on February 13th in Toronto on the recent events in Tunisia and Egypt. Akar is the author of The Clash of Barbarisms The Making of the New World Disorder and the Arabs and the Holocaust The Arab Israeli War of Narratives. The lecture will be held in room 2214 at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education and begins at 4 o'clock p.m.
0: Since roughly 1980, between 583 and 3,000 Indigenous women have gone missing or been murdered in Canada. Despite an increase in the number of instances of violence against women, the federal government is still cutting funding for those organizations who fight for the dignity of Native women, most recently Sisters in Spirit last November. On February 14th, march in protest of these cuts and acts of sexist and racist violence in the Memorial March for Missing and Murdered Women. In Montreal, meet at Cabot Square in Atwater Park at 3 o'clock p.m. In Toronto, the rally will be held at the Toronto Police Headquarters at 5 o'clock p.m. And in Winnipeg, meet at 175 Colony at 5.30.
1: Join the BC Lower Mainlands community organizations at ReConvergence, A day of workshops, discussions, activities, and information tables, all from an anti-capitalist, anti-colonial, and anti-imperialist perspective. Reconvergence will be held on February 19th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the SFU Harbor Center in Vancouver. Free lunch and snacks will be provided.
0: The next monthly potluck dinner for Independent Jewish Voices Montreal is happening on February 23rd at 6 o'clock p.m. The dinner will end with a short meeting about the campaign IJV is working on and an update on the AGM that will be in Montreal in June. The address is 3847 Hampton between Sherbrooke and NDG. Please RSVP to 514-486-0600.
1: Journalist and host of Democracy Now! Amy Goodman will be in Edmonton on February 26th to celebrate the 14th anniversary of her show and the launch of her book, Breaking the Sound Barrier. She will speak on the role of independent media in promoting social justice. This free talk begins at 7 o'clock p.m. and will be held at the University of Alberta.
0: That's all for Around the Left in Seven Days for the week of February 10th, 2011.
1: Alert follows up last week's discussion of the Egyptian Intifada with a discussion on the geopolitics of this historic uprising. What is the United States' interest in the uprising? Israel's. What might be its impact in the region? And what about Canada's policy? To help us sort out these questions, Alert has contacted at his home in Vancouver, Mordecai Breenberg, founder of CanPalNet and frequent contributor to Canadian Dimension magazine. So um, thanks for joining us, Mordecai.
2: Thank you very much for uh, contacting me.
1: Okay, so we, we see with the events uh, unraveling right now uh, right in the North Africa, what, as you see it, are the stakes for uh, the United States and Israel?
2: Well, in particular with regards to Egypt. Egypt is the largest, uh, both by population, by economy, and uh in in terms of the, of the north african region the middle east as a whole and uh, their world uh and the egypt in 1979 made a a deal with uh israel and uh which uh the united states uh very much uh wanted and that was it signed what what is called a peace treaty uh, essentially what it was is uh, an agreement by the Egyptians to uh, no longer be supportive of the Palestinian struggle and to ally itself with America and with Israel as uh, their uh, entree into the Arab world, uh, the major country that would uh, front for and support um, imperial control of the region, uh, including uh, Israel's control uh, over, uh, over the Palestinians so when uh, the revolt started in tunisia uh... the Im- americans didn't uh... Um, make many comments the israelis uh, immediately said this is destabilizing the region of course destabilizing means uh... upsetting the apple cart of uh... israeli-american control of the region and they expressed some anxiety now the anxiety has reached uh, a fever pitch inside israel with the Arab Revolution, uh, we can call it, I think, accurately, that's taking place in the whole Middle East, uh, engulfing uh, Egypt. So what's at stake is that entire alliance and the mechanism of control uh, that America, Egypt, and Israel established in, uh, in uh, 1979.
1: Mubarak has been, uh, as uh, I see it, uh, a faithful ally to the United States and Israel, uh, at, at like his uh, the, the predecessors before. So what do you see would be the implications for the current state of affairs if you end up with a, a, le- a, a, a new leader who is mm-hmm. not so compliant with uh, the what the, the imperial interests, as you call it, are?
2: Well, uh, the United States um, and Israel fear most uh, democratic structures across the Arab world. Uh, They're quite happy to have uh, the population contained. Uh, Why is democracy? It's almost uh, a a joke that the country, which has self-advertised itself as the only democracy in the Middle East, Israel, so labels itself, uh, fears most that the neighboring countries would be democratic. Why does it fear that? It fears that only because it, uh, it means that, uh, firstly and immediately, Israel would have to be responding to pressures from its neighbors to uh, give some concessions uh, to the Palestinian people. What uh, the Al Jazeera papers have shown, uh, they call them Palestine Papers, which are documents from negotiations over the last 10 years, the so called peace process, which the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, Arafat before him, and the Israelis have been uh, uh, engaged in, uh, a process that uh, is not designed to achieve peace, but simply to Give a cover of negotiations to the ongoing colonization Israel's pursuing in the territories it conquered in 1967. All that uh, uh, would would fall by the wayside, and Israel would have to readjust its policies. What it would mean as well is probably this effort to um, to wage ongoing war on Lebanon, which Israel has been doing in the period with the Egyptian alliance. It, it's, uh, Israel, once it signed, uh, once Egypt signed the treaty of opting out from being um, an independent voice in the Arab world, meant that the Israelis in their military strategy completely uh, ignored the Egyptian army. They didn't consider it a factor. So that meant when they wanted to bomb to the north, uh, Lebanon, which they've done repeatedly, uh, they they had no military challenge from anyone.
1: Mordecai, could you maybe give us some um, perspective on on where the United States fits into this? Are they simply just uh, you know loyally serving Israeli interests, or is there any area of divergence in in terms of what they might want out of Egypt and what Israel wants out of Egypt?
2: Well, what the United States wants out of the region, uh, very importantly, and uh, uh, is the big prize for them, is oil. Um, now, the oil areas are uh, largely in societies which are ruthless dictatorships, like uh, like Egypt, uh, countries that uh, the Americans quite happy to... Uh, have remained those kind of dictatorships uh, because it's easier and facilitates the uh, exploitation and uh, control of the oil resources for the United States. As the Arab revolt spreads, uh, that revolt not only threatens the arrangement America has in Egypt with the alliance with the Mubarak regime, uh, but it also sends shivers down the backs of the of the Saudis and the Emirates and uh, and the other parts of the Arab world that uh, sit upon that uh, resource.
1: So, should we end up with uh, a successful overthrow, not only of Mubarak but that whole order? and uh, a, a, a government in Egypt that's less compliant to these imperial interests, as you call them, and more compliant with the will of the people. What, uh, what is the impact uh, on Gaza? What is the impact on uh, the neighboring countries? And how do you see Israeli uh, and American policy transforming? Uh,
2: I think we have to, or at least I would like to uh, uh, sort of preface a response to that uh, important question by saying uh, we're not looking immediately in the next week or two weeks to uh, a complete new order being established uh, in the Arab world. We're at the beginning of a process in which uh, this uh, possibility of a new Arab world is definitely center of the agenda. To what uh, speed, with what speed it proceeds and what obstacles it encounters, and so on That's, uh, that that takes more time. But uh, let, let me give you uh, an example. Um, uh, Seymour Hirsch, the New York Times uh, reporter, very um, uh, informed and intelligent reporter, uh, former reporter for the New York Times. Uh, was just on Al Jazeera television, and he said during the last bombing of Isra- uh, by Israel of Gaza, the, what was called Kasled, um the Egyptians provided intelligence for uh, what they thought were the location of all the leadership of Hamas, and uh, Israel began its bombing with quote-unquote smart bombs to hit those precise exact locations. Which they continued to do until the leadership of Hamas, uh, due I guess to inadequacies of Egyptian intelligence, but not through lack of willingness to share um, uh, the killing project with the Israelis, uh, appeared together and and gave a press conference. Um, so what that kind of collaboration, the blockade of Gaza those are probably things which most immediately might change with a change of uh of regime in uh, in Egypt uh what might also change is the whole uh, e- uh, israeli effort to uh develop a, a backing for a bombing of uh, iran under the pretext that iran is uh already or imminently uh, capable of uh, developing uh, uh, nuclear uh, weapons what would happen in the in the greater length of time is is hard to tell in part it depends upon for example how important the role the trade unions and the working class of egypt who've been struggling very valiantly in in importance uh, as as the, as was the case in Tunisia, how important a role left forces play in uh, in the region uh, as opposed to the, just the liberal intelligentsia so all those things um, I think are impossible to predict at this moment.
1: Could you, on just one last point, could you maybe give us some indication? Canada is very closely aligned with both Israel and the United States. What role do you see them playing in the in this?
2: Uh well, Canada Canada has been playing a, a very supportive role of Mubarak. Essentially, uh, well said explicitly. Harper has said explicitly that the most important thing at the present time is Israel's uh, security and that's tied to mubarak and so canada wants to follow mubarak's own plan and support it that he would remain in power and there would be some uh, minimal shuffling of uh, of chairs around the table with the same dictators uh... uh being present and, and ruling it so we're we're following the pro-israeli uh, pro-mubarak uh... pattern um, more than even the united
1: Well, uh, Mordecai, I want to thank you very much for joining us uh, on alert. We'll have to see how these uh, events develop over the coming weeks. So thank you very much for sharing your perspectives with us.
2: Yes, thank you, and uh, I think we should keep our eyes open uh, with a a glint in them. These are uh, very positive developments that are taking place in the Arab world.
1: Yes, unprecedented. Thank you very much, Mordecai. Bye. And that was Mordecai Breenberg, founder of CanPalNet and the frequent contributor to Canadian Dimension magazine.
3: Pick up the latest issue of Canadian Dimension magazine today and discover how Canadian mining companies are behind serious human rights abuses and environmental destruction from the Congo to Ecuador. You can visit canadiandimension.com to read some of these featured articles, check out our latest blogs, or order a subscription to Canadian Dimension. The Canadian Dimensions Special Mining Issue is on newsstands and in bookstores now.
0: The Harper government will bring down its budget next month. The most controversial measure is its proposed corporate income tax cut, which the Liberals say they will vote against even if it means defeating the government and forcing a federal election this summer. To comment on the forthcoming budget, Alert has contacted Jim Stanford, economist for the Canadian Automobile Workers Union and author of Economics for Everyone. Welcome back to Alert, Jim. Hi, Ashley. Let's start off with a general question. What kind of a budget does Canada need in the current situation? Should it be giving priority to cutting the federal deficit or advancing the economic recovery?
4: Well, the biggest problem we face is that we're still trying to uh, claw back our way from that uh, recession. That followed the the global financial meltdown um we are not back to where we were in terms of uh our output of goods and services uh, in terms of our standard of living in terms of personal income unemployment uh, is still very high the official rate is 7.8 percent the true rate is uh, well over 10 percent when you include the hidden unemployed so the first priority absolutely should be to uh, support jobs and job creation and uh Uh, further rebound of the uh, economy Uh, deficit uh, reduction will occur automatically uh, if and when we get the economy back uh, you know uh, fully in gear Uh, so you know we we don't need to be uh, cutting program spending in order to balance the budget in fact that can make things worse because uh, if the rest of the economy is still shaky and, and there's lots of reason to believe that it is then uh, big uh, budget cuts uh, could could uh, undermine the recovery or even throw us back into recession. So I think the, the top priority absolutely should still be to um, encourage uh, more job creation, not just in a sort of a short-run stimulus way, but in terms of the longer-run expansion of uh, public services and public programs in Canada.
0: So what about the proposed corporate income tax cut? You're on record as opposing it. Uh, Can you take a few minutes to tell our listeners why?
4: Sure. Well, it's important to remember that uh, we've been cutting corporate income taxes quite dramatically in Canada for a decade now. Uh, If we go back to the year 2000, the uh, federal uh, income tax rate on companies was 29.1%. And the uh, government uh, at that time, uh, which was the Chrétien Liberal government, Paul Martin was the finance minister, uh, introduced uh, a series of reductions in the corporate income tax cut then uh, of course uh, Harper came to power and uh, they continued uh, those reductions so since the year 2000 uh, the tax rates fallen from over 29% to uh, to this year 16.5% uh, the Harper government wants uh, to do the next tranche of those tax cuts uh, for businesses which would take it down to 15% uh, next year uh, so by next year, if that went ahead, we would have cut corporate taxes in half, if you can believe that. To over the last decade, which is uh, incredible. The uh, argument that's made to support this is uh, classic trickle-down economics. Uh, this old assumption that if you make thing, if you make life better for the rich and powerful of the world, uh, they will grace us with a little more investment and create jobs, and we'll all be better off uh, as a result. That has not happened uh, with the uh, you know 13 points of corporate tax reduction that have already been implemented over the last decade, it certainly won't happen with the next uh, point and a half. There's no evidence to suggest we'll get stronger investment. In fact, we've had weaker business investment uh, in recent years in Canada, despite those uh, tax cuts. The other thing to remember, uh, actually, is the government doesn't have a bottomless pit of money to, to spend on things. So if you're going to spend money on corporate tax cuts, it would be about $3 billion a year, this last uh, phase that's proposed. That means you're not spending $3 billion a year on something else. And we know the government is cutting back uh, its spending on infrastructure. They're saying that, yeah, we supported infrastructure for two years, but we don't need to anymore. They're cutting back on uh, social housing, and they're cutting back on uh, employment insurance benefits. In fact, there's tens of thousands of Canadians who are going to get kicked off their EI benefits because they expire even though the unemployment rate is still very high. So, in effect, what you're doing is you're taking money out of infrastructure, out of housing, out of EI benefits, and giving it in corporate tax reductions. And uh, for that reason, the net effect will be actually a destruction of jobs, not a creation of jobs. I have estimated that by spending the $3 billion a year on corporate tax cuts rather than on uh, EI benefits, you'll actually reduce employment by about forty to 50,000 jobs.
0: Wow. Um, so, we want to talk a little bit about the alternative federal budget. Um, you're one of the authors of the AFB. Can you explain a little bit about what it is and how the 2011 AFB will differ from the Harper government sure, budget? Sure,
4: yeah. Well, the alternate federal budget is a great uh, project. It's kind of a coalition of uh, labor, community, environmental, anti poverty groups. It actually had its heritage in Winnipeg uh, with the alternate budgets that the Choices uh, Coalition began doing back in the early 90s, and then that idea caught fire. And uh, uh, John Loxley originally uh, helped get the project going federally. Now it's uh, facilitated by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. So they will release their alternate budget as usual uh, a week or two before the official federal budget. And uh, it will be uh, obviously a kind of a night and day contrast. Uh, First of all, the AFB will not get manic about deficit reduction or balancing the budget uh, purely for its own sake. Uh, It will recognize that the deficit was created by the crisis and the recession, and uh, the best way to reduce the deficit is to get the economy going again. So you'll have a more gradual timetable for deficit reduction, and you'll have uh, more of a commitment to um, job creation, uh, income supports for unemployed and other low-income Canadians, uh, environmental uh, policies that would be... Good for the environment, plus good for creating green jobs, uh, if you like, in Canada. So there's a whole coalition of folks that come together to work on these uh, alternate budgets, and uh, this year's, I think, will be a very comprehensive and progressive alternative to where Harper and his crew are taking us.
0: All right. Well, thanks for speaking with us today. Uh, it's a really uh, controversial and interesting subject. Uh, We've been speaking with Jim Stanford, economist with the Canadian Automobile Workers Union, about the upcoming federal budget and the proposed corporate income tax cuts. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for speaking with us.
4: Thank you for having me, Ashley. I, I think your show's great.
0: Oh, thank you.
4: Okay.
1: As we noted in our news headlines, this past weekend, Prime Minister Harper and President Obama signed off on a plan that, for the first time, envisions throwing up a single security ring around the perimeter of Canada and the United States. To talk to us about the deal, Alert has contacted Stephen Staples, president of the Rideau Institute, an independent research, consulting, and advocacy group located in Ottawa. So thanks for joining us, Stephen. My pleasure. Could you maybe tell us exactly what's involved in this deal? What what are the changes that we can expect, and what do they include?
5: Well, first of all, it's it's Groundhog Day again. That uh, here we are going through another process to uh, address uh, problems at the border, holdups at the at the Canada-US border, by trying to give the United States um, greater security uh, guarantees and further integration. Uh, it's an old idea that's been around really since nine eleven, when some of the proponents of uh, going way back to free trade were concerned that in the wake of 9-11, security measures would ruin the economic integration that they had achieved through previous free trade agreements. So we had a number of proposals that come under different terms. Some called them the grand bargain, others the big idea. This was the idea that you could get uh, uh, access to the U.S. market and exemptions for Canada through some of the security measures if we did things like join the invasion of Iraq or sign on to the star wars missile defense system or you know do data sharing uh, joint watch you know f- common flight watch information and these types of things uh, that somehow we would get access over the border so uh, various iterations of this have largely been trilateral that is they've involved mexico in the past and they have had different names one most recently was the s p p that was actually started under the liberals and that harper inherited but eventually died a, uh, a slow death, and uh, as the chief uh, leaders of the three countries have changed, what's new this time is that this is a Canada-U.S. Um, arrangement. It's a beginning of a process now, although obviously talks have been going on for quite some time without anybody really knowing about it, uh, except probably for high-ups in the Conservatives and major corporations knew about it. Hmm. So we've got this uh, arrangement announced. It has. Some of the similar features of previous uh, discussions, harmonization, looking at standards and things like that, but there is certainly a military and security apparatus contained in this uh, that that uh, that could create a fortress in North America
1: why do we find that organizations uh, such as the Council of Canadians are, are opposed to this arrangement which uh, I mean a lot of the, one of the selling points is it's about uh, you know streamlining border the, the border getting uh, goods more easily across the border um, why what is there about that that uh, you think Canadians should be concerned about
5: well there's I mean I don't think anybody cares about Train loads of car parts going across the border, or, you know, containers of this and that. Uh, I don't think anybody's really worried about that and that people would say, well, if there's a way to get goods across the border in a more efficient manner, oh, that sounds good to me. Uh, and, uh, but the problem is that um, it's also the flow of people. Uh, and in a security-conscious U.S., uh, they <clears throat> want as much information as they can about people. Uh, coming into the border. So to get that kind of uh, free flow of goods and people across the border, because somebody's got to drive the trucks somebody has to fly the planes and be on the aircraft, what you essentially would have to do is harmonize and completely integrate our policies with those of the United States. There could be no difference on security matters. That's why people point out that this would be a massive seeding of our sovereignty, because we could no longer have independent policies from the United States. For them, in order to, to, to lower security uh, arrangements at the 49th parallel and apply them instead at points of entry around North America, then they would have to com- have complete trust in, uh, in our ability to uh, provide that security. In fact, they would probably insist on having their own people there, and there could be no difference between our laws and theirs. So essentially our foreign policy, our immigration policy, our security policies would be faxed to us from Washington. And, and even then, even if we were to do all that, most people would, most analysts would agree that the United States would still have measures at the border. That is, that they would use what's been sometimes called a belt and suspenders approach. <laughs> you don't even trust your own pants, therefore you will take the precautions around the perimeter and still keep your security at the border. So we will have given up our, our sovereignty in so many areas uh, and, and have achieved nothing.
1: Okay, so we this is being negotiated, and as you survey the scene out there in Ottawa, what do you suppose of the likelihood that this is going to go through?
5: I think there's a real danger here, uh, because on the one hand, uh, many of the... Uh, pernicious aspects of the integration that's already occurred, particularly with the smart border agreement, which was brought in in a matter of weeks after 9-11, a lot of which uh, led to the information sharing that caught Meher Arar in the U.S. security apparatus and ended up in his torture. That was the result of some of the policies that were actually brought in by the liberals back in that time. So I don't think the liberals will have too many objections to some of these measures, just as Michael Ignatieff ushered in the extension of the mission in Afghanistan. I think this is also one of those areas where the liberals uh, will complain about the secrecy, but I don't know that they'll actually reject the substance uh, of the matter. Uh, Second of all, uh, we're moving into an election uh, time period at this point. There is a lot of uh, uh, positioning in terms of the parties, and what's uh, clearly this announcement, I think, was timed uh for the prime minister to look very prime ministerial uh standing along president obama so uh, uh this could become uh, uh a hypercharged election issue where um, uh where the ndp particularly maybe the bloc but certainly the ndp uh will be chiding against it and the uh, conservatives will be moving uh in favor of it
1: well it sounds like some very distressing news though uh On that note, I I think I'd like to thank you, uh, Stephen Staples, for joining us here on Alert and and sharing your thoughts about this uh, agreement with us.
5: Nice to be back. Thanks for having me.
1: And that was Stephen Staples, president of the Rideau Institute, an independent research consulting and advocacy group located in Ottawa.
6: Hi, this is Mitch Podolik, and this is Music is a Weapon, and on this week's show, the work of one artist. The artist is Eric Bogle. Most people know him because of two songs. The band played Waltzing Matilda, and another song called No Man's Land, which of course are two of the great anti-war songs of all time. He's He's an accountant who moved from Scotland to Australia, where he discovered that he was a songwriter, and it... He has spent the last 25 or so years on the road bringing songs to the world. So we want to just start with why he likes to sing. And So here is Eric Bogle with the sound of singing.
7: We are well met, my friends, in this place tonight. Though most of us are strangers to each other The many paths that led us here Will mingle and unite As we walk down this same road together And so when the music starts Open up your heart Let it soar like a lark in early morning Sorrow, care or fear Tonight have no place here They shall all soon disappear In the sound of singing. This crowded age we live in Gives us little time or choice. Small simple dreams are often derided. But tonight we shall sing In a common human voice. Tonight we shall be not divided. So for these few hours at least Let your spirit be released may you find peace if peace is what you're seeking the frantic ceaseless roar of the world outside our door shall this night fade before the sound of singing and so when the music starts open up your heart let it soar like a lark in early morning sorrow care or fear tonight have no place here they shall all soon disappear in the sound of singing have you seen the children who disturb our paradise staring from the tv With anti-dying eyes, no trace of anger anger at the betrayal of the trust. The left and the die like starving dogs dogs in the famine's bitter dust. But if you close your ears, you won't hear them crying. If you close your eyes, you won't see them dying. And if you close your mind, your heart won't condemn. If the future's born with every birth, tell me how much is a child's life worth? We must feed the children of the earth, or the future dies with them. And have you seen the madmen who strut the world's stage, threatening our destruction as they prance and preen and rage, rattling nuclear sabers as humanity holds its breath, feeding on fear and bigotry as the children starve to death. But if you close your ears, you won't hear them crying if you close your eyes. You won't see them dying. And if you close your mind, your heart won't condemn. If the future's born with every birth, tell me how much is a child's life worth? We must feed the children of the earth, or the future dies with them. But if you close your ears... You won't hear them crying. If you close your eyes, you won't see them dying. And if you close your mind, your heart won't condemn. If the future's born with every birth, tell me how much is a child's life worth? We must feed the children of the earth. On the future dies with
6: them That was Eric Bogle with Feed the Children and before that his song Sound of Singing. While Bogle is known as a, as a, as a political writer, the thing about his sense of politics is, is that it covers pretty much the entire human condition. He's a very clever character. He's a, he's a brilliant man, he's a great writer. Here's a couple of songs that, that just both Blow me away. Let's start with poor bugger Charlie.
7: Poor bugger Charlie's back in jail, got no money to pay his bill. Picked up drunk on the street last night. Might have been okay if he'd been white. Oh, oh, oh. Now Charlie and the white man's lord cross swords many times before. So one of the coppers who pulled him in bruised his hand on Charlie's chin. Oh, oh, oh,
5: oh.
7: Now Charlie was no diplomat, he hauled off and punched a copper back. That was Charlie's first mistake. The second was calling the judge Snowflake. Oh, 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 oh. Poor Bucket Charlie's back in jail. Oh, oh, oh. Got no money to pay his bail. Oh, oh, oh. The judge looked down with cold blue eyes. His contempt was undisguised. Why did you hit the constable? said he. Oh, said Charlie, he hit me. Oh, 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 it's my duty, said the judge, to keep people like you off city streets. No one is safe until I do. I'm gonna make an example of you. Oh. oh, oh, oh. $5,000 is your bail, it's either that or 3 months jail. Oh, said Charlie, I can't pay, right, said the judge, take him away. Oh, 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 oh. poor bugger Charlie's back in jail, oh, 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 oh. got no money to pay his bill. Oh, 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 Charlie's in the cell, 15 by 10, with a bucket, a blanket and two coolie men. One two dollar flagon of rot gut wine, Charlie's due in three months' time. Oh, 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 oh. Three poor bloody coolies locked in the zoo, one got paroled and then there was two. Another got sick and that left one, he hanged himself and then there was none. Oh, 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 oh. was waning in the African sky The sound all flew wide open And they stood looking at him they saw no mercy in their hearts No pity in their eyes As he took him and he bound him He had his trembling hands behind him He felt his courage leaving His man who disappeared. His legs did not support him, so from the cell they dragged him. He sobbed and screamed and cursed them in his loneliness and fear. Chains, chains, chains. How many souls have died in freedom's name? This song it is a way of life To others just a word This song it is a snow white dove To some a bloody sword But until the last chains fall Our freedom will make slaves of us all With faces closed and hidden the white guards walked beside him. In. Indifferent to his pleading, they've been down this path before. But other eyes were watching, and other ears were listening. Other hearts beat with him in this final desperate hour. From the darkness of that prison, came the sound of his brothers singing Courage, the voices told him You do not walk alone From the sounds beyond the shadow He heard the voices echo As in love and pride and sorrow They sang his spirit on Chains, chains, chains How many souls have died in freedom's name To some it is a way of life To others just a word To some it is a snow-white dove To some a bloody sword But until the last chains fall Our freedom will make slaves of us all The song of hope and freedom It rang inside that prison It beat against the iron bars Crashed against the stone As in the fear and hate they hung him The last sound that filled his being Was his brothers singing, singing Singing his spirit home And courage, brother, you do not walk alone Ah, we shall walk
5: with you
7: and sing your spirit home And courage, brother, you do not walk alone
6: singing the spirit home every time I hear that song a piece of me just gets pissed off at the world and at the same time has is really encouraged he's a great writer and after and before that per Bugger Charlie. And that's it for this week, folks. We'll see you next week.
1: Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for being with us. We'll be here next week at this time. If you would like to send us a comment, write to alert at canadiandimension.com. To hear this show again, or to hear any of our past shows, go to the Canadian Dimension website at canadiandimension.com and select Alert. The show is also podcast on rabble.ca.
0: The executive producer of Alert is Canadian Dimension publisher Saigonic. Technical producer is Tommy Allen, assisted by Selina Serbanuk. Alert headlines by Chris Webb. Around the Left in Seven Days by Ben Wood. Music is The Weapon by Mitch Padala. I'm Ashley Titterton.
1: And I'm Michael Welch. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension magazine.
3: Pick up the latest issue of Canadian Dimension magazine today and discover how Canadian mining companies are behind serious human rights abuses and environmental destruction from the Congo to Ecuador. You can visit CanadianDimension.com to read some of these featured articles, check out our latest blogs, or order a subscription to Canadian Dimension. The Canadian Dimension special mining issue is on newsstands and in bookstores now. Get it